G'day, everyone. Simon Alicia here of the AWS Podcast. Great to have you back. Joined again by a very special guest. I've got Drew Meyer here, who's Head of Product Marketing for AWS Storage Services. Welcome back, Drew. Hey, thanks. Great to be here, Simon. Thanks for coming back. We uh, we had some good conversations in the past around the storage space, and storage is a big domain. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's uh, under, understating it, and and, <laughs> and growing every day. We could say yeah. growing every day, yeah, always growing, always growing. <laughs> um, I think we, we, you and I were talking before we kicked off the podcast a, a little bit about our backgrounds prior to uh, to Amazon, and um, I was saying how I, I'd worked at, at Veritas doing a lot of backup recovery, HA type stuff, and, and you have a, a similar heritage in some way. We've uh, done a lot of storage work as well. Yeah, the the I don't know, you call it. Geeky and not very sexy, but I think protecting data is pretty important. So I don't know. Maybe it needs guys that have a passion for that to make sure that it doesn't fall off the radar. That's what we're doing here. Yeah, well, it, 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 the data keeps on growing and someone's got to protect it. So um, so the topic today we thought we'd talk about is, is backup and probably more specifically or for the bulk of the conversation, backing up to the cloud rather than necessarily backing up of systems in the cloud. Because let's face it, a lot of people have a huge amount of existing um Systems, uh, software estates, etc., and vast amounts of data. Like you know, smaller customers typically have you know tens to hundreds of terabytes. Bigger customers, of course, have petabytes. Um, mm-hmm. We do come across exabytes as well. So uh, you know, they're all yeah, yeah we're like all out guys. there. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, and, and the, the tape burden that goes along with that, or, yeah. or opportunity, I guess, depending where you stand. But a lot of stuff is locked away on these tapes that are stashed away in an archive in a library, and perhaps you know, in the U.S., it's Iron Mountain holding mm-hmm. all these tapes somewhere. Yeah, lots lots and lots of tapes and there's specialized devices and dedupe devices and mm-hmm. SAN devices and NAS devices and all, all good stuff. So what is the current state of the art or state of play in terms of customers who have on-premises infrastructure and on-premises data backups who would like to expand into the cloud? And they want to do that for, uh, it could be because they want the um, far more efficient pricing of storage in the cloud, they want to provide themselves to some sort of geo-redundancy, or it's their first step into migrating to the cloud. What, what are some of the options they have available? So let's think about this. The, the backup to the cloud is a really simple win for a lot of customers, and it doesn't really matter the size. And the other good thing about backup is it's applicable to almost everyone in every industry. So we've developed some connectors that let existing backup software vendors point over to Amazon's S3 platform, and in some cases, even the Glacier platform directly as a target for the backups. This comes in handy when you're tasked with a backup replacement project, a modernization project, or or tape replacement, I should say. Um, And the magic here is the breadth of connectors. Over the last year, we've really made some progress with the main vendors in this space, because frankly, it's a pretty mature space. There's a handful of people that have been doing this a long time, and they have a lot of estate investment, as you mentioned, and they know where the data is. So you don't want to rip and replace that unless it's part of a bigger picture. So the simple way to dip your toe in, if you will, to this cloud backup is to get one of those connectors in the version of software that you're using and say it's, you know, the big three are Veritas and IBM and EMC at this point. All three of them have connectors that let your net backup, for example, point over to S3 um, as a target and still maintain and manage that backup in the catalog that Veritas, uh, that NetBackup is maintaining. So you don't lose anything in terms of visibility to where your stuff is, how many jobs you've done, where they are, when they were last run, all the successes, all that metadata. But you gain everything in terms of durability and scale. You don't have to worry about your next purchase of tapes. It's a, it's a question of how much more cloud do you want to buy when you want it. 
And that's one of the, the interesting things. I think it's a really important point is that most backup administrators, their their world is the the catalog of the respective product they're using, and whether it's you know Commvault or NetBackup or Backup Exec or whatever, that's that's sort of their the source of truth in their world. And really, they're taking um, sets of data that are that are either represented in physical types or virtual types or other um, disk-based formats. And they're life cycling them through, often over many, many years. You know, seven plus years is a not uncommon time frame. These connectors mean that suddenly both um, S3, for example, becomes a really effective storage location. But as you mentioned, Glacier, which is designed specifically for archival type workload, which is, hey, I'm storing this for a long period of time. I, I pray that I'll never have to actually get it back. Um, that's become a really popular endpoint for a lot of these these life cycles. Now they may start off with some you know, initial generations of backup being on, on on the existing on-premises infrastructure, but very quickly they life cycle out through those connectors, don't they? Yeah, you know the devil's in the details. So depending on your vendor and depending how far down the road they've gone on the integration with this this connector. They may or may not be able to manage the lifecycle across tiers inside the Amazon cloud. So the ideal situation is you stop backing up the tape and point over to S3 and then say, you know, pick your time, but say after 30 days, you drop from S3 for a quicker recovery down into the SIA tier, the standard infrequent access, which is a lower cost. And then after another 30 days, you dump it all over into Glacier and you pay the penalty if you want to come out on time, but you have the low cost, lowest cost archival tier there. Now, the, the, you can either manage that, like I said, in some cases within the backup software, so your catalog stays whole, or you can move it using the Amazon um, lifecycle policy, lifecycle management policies to make those hops happen. And your software still thinks it's in S3. It just, uh, may, the recovery time may change a little bit. So, you know, investigate that as you go forward with this. But the idea that you want to put this into a different location still holds true across the board. Absolutely. And then there are also those sort of midpoint options because you don't have to go just obviously from a lifecycle perspective from from uh, S3 standard to Glacier. You could just go to infrequent access and there's a, immediately a, a cost saving there without um, without changing the accessibility. Either. Yeah, so that's, that's right. That's and, and you can – Transparent to the computer. You got it. And you can pick some stuff to go there and some stuff not to go there and all kinds of options. Now, there's, there's two other angles on this that we should look at and, and one of them is um, the, the market – in this space has been changing a lot with the introduction of what IDC calls purpose-built backup appliances or PBBAs. And it's easier. There's really only two players in this space. It's it's uh, EMC with their data domain appliances and it's Veritas with their net backup appliances. So one, one common step we see people taking is doing a backup migration uh, project and they bring in a disk-based box and then they start pointing to the disk-based box, either from EMC or, or uh, Veritas. And then from there, they're still using the same software so they can push from disk into the cloud. So you've got in the modern parlance, a disk to disk to cloud format where the caching and the returning, the recovery of stuff all happens from the disk-based machine. So you're really just looking for an archival tier in that point in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's often, it's amazing when those archives get really large, that's where it just soaks up a lot of capital investment in traditional infrastructure build-outs. Um, I've seen customers yeah. who have physically run out of space in their data centers because they just can't knock a wall down and put another tape silo in or even uh, using dedupe devices and other disk-based devices. They just physically can't do it or they're out of power um, or they just don't want to spend the money. I mean, the, the per gig cost mm-hmm. can be pretty prohibitive as well. We so have it's, an it's interesting play with the storage – sorry, the um, the AWS storage gateway, which offers a virtual tape library as one of the interfaces – 
So it's a mm. it's a virtual machine, a software appliance that you can download and install as a VM, and then it presents itself to your existing backup software as a tape automation. So the magic there is it's non-disruptive, and you can start pointing your backups to what is essentially local disk, and then it ma- it manages the capture and the allocation of those virtual tapes and stores them locally, and then it can push them over into into Glacier if you want. But you don't have to know anything about what's happening on the cloud end of that. You're just pointing locally to that storage gateway. Yeah, that's a, it's a really nifty uh, abstraction. And again, it's a, it's a common abstraction because, as you say, you know, a, lot, a lot of these vendors do have uh, native connectors, I think we could call them, mm. um, into things like S3, et cetera. But uh, some don't. And some just say, hey, just show me a tape library. And uh, storage gateway with a virtual tape library uh, achieves that uh, easily. Yeah, and it, um, it also gives you the local recovery performance. Mm. If you think you're going to have a big glob of stuff that you need to get back fast and you don't want to pull it down over the wire or recover it into the cloud to an EC2 instance, then the gateway gives you that kind of that local cache. But uh, For sure. lots of options. Sure. I mean, that's the whole point here. Plenty of options. One of the other patterns I've seen deployed really successfully, particularly with enterprise customers doing this at scale for a period, a long period of time, is the use of Direct Connect as the as a dedicated network tier specifically for their backup and recovery traffic mm-hmm. because they are sending huge uh, volumes of data on a regular basis. It's just a nice way for them to get, um, again, efficiently priced, reliable bandwidth between their existing infrastructure and the cloud. Yeah, and when you talk about data transfer methods, you know, Direct Connect is a great one if you're pushing electrons kind of one after another, but the other option is to do it in a big batch. And I think I want to highlight Commvault here in particular. They've gone out of their way to integrate the Snowball uh, user interface and API into their backup software so that with a Commvault catalog, you can do a backup to a Snowball device, send the Snowball device over the roadways to the Amazon data center, and Commvault knows where that data is the whole time. So now you're moving up to 80 terabytes at a time um, and still keeping track of it. That's pretty cool. That's, that's tremendous. And that's, that's a great example of the power of, of API interfaces into even um, physically-based devices. So, you know, Commvault's able to use the, the API to get status information and to drive that process. But it's manifested in a physical device, which I think is pretty nifty. Yeah, the, the pendulum swings back and forth. A cloud company that's building on-prem devices, who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, so one of the other things we wanted to talk about, just briefly because it, it really warrants its own episode, is that you know we're talking about backup of existing on-premises infrastructure, which is typically built in a particular way. Uh, it's typically uh, what we would call pets versus cattle. Um non-elastic, you kind of have to back up absolutely everything. Um, Backing up systems that exist in the cloud themselves natively is a different proposition, isn't it, Drew? We don't want to go about doing exactly the same way. It's You're exactly right. And it takes some rethinking. Um, Number one, there are architectural changes. If If you're doing this right, we think, and customers have showed us, that there are architectural changes in the storage platforms that are going to change the way you, you're managing your data. So if you're converting everything to object, well, if you're putting it on, on Amazon's S3 platform and you put versioning in place and maybe you even put cross-region replication in place, there's no way that you're going to be able to take a traditional backup software and have it walk through the file and directory tree and try to capture all the changes and keep them synced up and perform a backup job at a, at a point in time. It just doesn't fit, doesn't make sense anymore. So there's that approach using the native tools inside the cloud to, to protect the certain types and places of data. There's also the recovery in the cloud. And this is where I see the two 
uh, sort of the traditional model and the com- the modern, the cloud model begin to overlap. One of the things we really get excited about is when customers start to talk about backup and recovery as a Trojan horse for their cloud data migration. The drawback with the stuff we've talked about so far is that the data you back up using Veritas or TF- TSM or whatever your favorite backup software is, it stays in that backup software's format. So it's only usable by that backup software. So when you recover, you can either pull it back down from the cloud to your on-prem, which is the easiest model most people are accustomed to, or you can install that backup software in the cloud and recover it in the cloud. It never has to come home. Well, once you've done that, once you've recovered your stuff in the cloud using that proprietary format, you've actually exposed all of your data estate to the applications that now reside in the cloud, and poof, you've done a a migration of all your data into the cloud. That's one way to look at it. And the other one is that as you you begin to move data into the cloud, you want to think about getting it into that object platform because it can be used by anything, no matter what its format at that point. You can take stuff out of Amazon S3 and use it in your Veritas software or use it in some other application that you have yet to write or make it available to multiple other applications and then drop it back into S3. So this whole idea of having silos on-prem, I've got my file data here, my block data here, and my backup data over here, it just begins to get really murky. Everything sits in that data lake. You pull out of that to run and use the applications you need. You protect applications with a snapshot, perhaps, and dump that snapshot into S3, and then it becomes your backup target. And probably more than we have time to go into here, but a lot of new ways of accomplishing stuff uh, that impact your RPO and your RTO. Absolutely. Definitely a lot lot of choices. I know for me, as I said, coming from that that background of working in this space for a while, I had to really rethink a lot of my thought processes about how you would do backup in the cloud. And one of the the big things that, that sort of, struck home to me is one of the keys is to reduce the surface area of what you actually have to back up and restore. And, and one of the really simple examples of that is, is the web serving tier. You know, in the cloud, in AWS, we use um, typically Amazon machine images. That becomes our, our baseline if it's, if it's uh, fully baked or it might be a, a bootstrap process. But in best practice, that's part of an auto-scaling group that can rebuild and replace instances as and when they need to. So suddenly you don't need to, for example, at your web tier, back them up at all. Yeah. <laughs> They're completely ephemeral. They can come and go. You've just eliminated a whole lot of data, life cycling, work, time, um, potential for problems, agent-based licensing. It just goes away. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Trimming down that complexity for the stuff that's really important. Because we, we like to say, you know, granted, I am a storage guy, but an application without any data isn't worth very much. So you can deploy applications in the cloud pretty quickly and easy using Amazon machine images and CloudFront or CloudFormation templates, etc. But unless you've got access to the data in the right format, then there's not much for that application to do. And so protecting that data and recovering it in a format that's useful for that application, that becomes a really core part of the task. Exactly, exactly. So I guess the, the message here is, have a look at what backup software or softwares you're using. Many, many customers I have used multiple. Um, and check out the state of play with their um, AWS cloud connectors. So, you know, do they back up to S3? Can they obviously use the VTL uh, emulation in the storage gateway? Do they go directly to Glacier? Do they integrate Snowball? These are questions you should be asking because you could be saving a lot of money and uh, operating far more efficiently as well. Yeah, I definitely would call that step one if you're an existing customer that's thinking about moving into the cloud. Um, And then if you are a customer that's already in the cloud, 
think about how you might use backup software as the migration manager. So get your stuff up in the cloud, perform a recovery up there, and and then you can shut off what you've been doing on the on-prem side because it's happened already. Exactly, exactly. Drew, thanks again for joining me. It's been great to have a chat. Our, my pleasure. Thanks again, Simon. Awesome. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We love to get your feedback, AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, as always, keep on building.